Church. Church, how's everybody doing today? All right, you guys are looking great. You're doing well out in this summer heat wave that we're having here, and we're just excited to have you uh, with us today. For those that don't know me, my name is Scott, and I serve as one of the staff pastors here, and uh, we're just delighted to have you with us today. And I just want to make a very special welcome to our first, second, and third time guest. Rich, can we give it up for our guest today? Thank you again for taking time out of your busy weekend to spend it with us today. And we just invite you to take that connection card that you find right in the seat back pocket in front of you. And uh, over the next uh, 20 to 30 minutes, you can just take that out and just complete that. And then at the end of today's service, you can take that out to our welcome center and go right out, uh, which is out the, to the right. And you can exchange that for some free gifts. We also want to uh, welcome our online uh, participants today. Can we give it up for our for those that are participating online, we're in. I want to thank you guys so much for asking to uh, participate as well by just simply uh, texting the word bridge to the number 94,000 and being a part of uh, the service that way. So I'm excited today. Uh, we get to start a brand new series called Jude, uh, Connecting to Truth in an Unconnected World. And so uh, it's exciting to do that. Anybody ever been in a fight before? Anybody ever been in a fight before? Right? Okay, so uh, I'm not talking about the one you got in with your spouse or your kids when you came to church today. Uh, I'm, I'm talking uh, not necessarily about a physical fight, but have you ever had to stand for something that you knew to be right and true? You had to stand up for it, and, and maybe there's opposition uh, to that. Well, that's what we're going to be looking at in the book of Jude over the next uh, couple of weeks, and so uh, we're excited about that. So if you have your Bibles today or... Uh, your smart device or the bridge app, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Jude and uh, chapter one, right? And here's the cool thing about Jude. There's only one chapter. So no matter what happens over the next uh, few weeks, wherever we are uh, talking about or wherever we are, we're always going to be in chapter one. So you just know, hey, chapter one is where they're going to be preaching out of this week when we talk about Jude. So uh, just turn to uh, chapter one. It's uh it's funny, I think in my Bible, it's, uh, it's like one page. It's like, wow. Uh, but there is a lot of great stuff in that one page, in those uh, few verses that Jude writes. And so we're going to be kind of looking at uh, the first five verses of Jude today. And so we're going to start reading there. And it says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. And we just put a pause there. Uh, and, and just kind of talk a little bit about the background there of these two guys. So Jude and James are brothers, and their parents are Mary and Joseph. So Jude and James are the half-brother of Jesus. So uh, Jesus was born uh, of Mary and conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, obviously, uh, later on, Joseph and Mary had other kids. And so Jude and James are those uh, other siblings that... Uh, Jesus had. Now, interesting enough, James and Jude did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, really did not believe his message while he was on earth. It wasn't until after Jesus' resurrection and he revealed himself to his followers that Jude and James believed. I don't know about you, but after three days, if my sibling got up from the dead, I would probably believe too, right? So uh, Jude and James come along, and so Jude, uh, interesting, says, I'm a brother of James, but look how he addresses his relationship with Jesus. He simply says, a servant of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, hey, a brother of Jesus. He said, I'm a servant of Jesus 
Christ, the brother of James. And let's keep reading. To those who have been called, everybody say called. For those who have been called, you are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. For certain individuals whose condemnation was already written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Through, though you already know all of this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. So here we are, Jude is uh, making a call uh, out to uh, the churches that this letter would be read. Uh, it's not certain how many churches would be involved in this reading. But this is like an email that Jude is sending that has like that, that red high priority flag on it, right? He is wanting to make sure that people get this. And so uh, Jude is sitting there and he's saying, hey, there's some people that have come into the church or the churches in the area and they are beginning to deceive you all. And so he's making a declaration of trying to shake away the church up from the false teaching and the false doctrine that these uh, these individuals are bringing in. And so it's important that when you understand Jude is making this statement, he's saying, hey, understand this, false doctrine will lead to false living. And so he's trying to communicate because he understands that this principle of whatever you're connected to it ultimately is feeding you. And so it is important that you and I connect with or get under sound doctrine or teaching because our life will automatically gravitate to what we are being taught. So, so really this, our behavior follows our belief. And so you and I have to understand when Jude is talking, he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to shake out what is going on. In other words, it's a word that we use in our very modern day, right? This word tolerance. But Jude is very much saying, do not tolerate false teaching. Do not tolerate wrong doctrine. Do not tolerate wrong living. And so he is very much communicating uh, 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 to the church a very strong letter. It's a wake-up letter. But the beautiful thing about God's Word is not only was it relevant for them, you know, uh, thousands of years ago, but it's very much relevant to us today. That we have to make sure that we shake ourselves awake and realize that oftentimes we are sitting in a, a culture, in a society that wants to bring about confusion and false doctrine and teaching in our lives. And so Jude's saying, hey, don't tolerate this stuff. So interesting enough is that in some letters that you read in the uh, New Testament, you'll find that the churches are being persecuted. Uh, and so there's this outside pressure on them to uh, conform or to, to give in because of, of persecution. But in this letter from Jude, it's not an outside persecution. It's an inward deception that is trying to destroy the church from the inside. And so uh, oftentimes we find ourselves in our uh, society today is that there are outside pressures 
that often want us to conform to, but there's also inside uh, dissension or, or false teaching that wants to break down the church. And so uh, I think if I were to kind of boil down what Jude is trying to communicate in a sentence, it would be something like this. Those who are called by God have the responsibility to stand against teachings that oppose God. Okay? Those who have been called by God, that you and I in this day and age, have the responsibility to stand against teachings that oppose God. And so, and so Jude is wanting to make this statement very clear. Obviously, he had other intentions. In fact, he, he was writing, he said, hey, I wanted to write to you about some about our common uh, salvation, there were some other things, and we don't ever really get to know what that other stuff was that he originally wanted to write, but he felt so compelled to drop that subject and to tackle this idea of false teaching uh, within the church, and so uh, he says this, he says, those who are called by God, First Peter, it says this, that we have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous life. There has been a calling, there's been a transformation in which we have left the old life, we have a new relationship uh, in Christ, and he says, you who have been called, and then he begins to list off some things. And I just want to kind of go over uh, a couple of things that I believe that the called have a responsibility to do. And the first thing is, is the called have a responsibility to contend for the faith. To contend for the faith. Now, let me just uh, uh, say this, that when, when we talk about contending for the faith, we're not talking about hey, you trying to fight for your salvation, right? You, your salvation, the, the, Jesus has done the perfect work. There's nothing else for us to try to war uh, for, to try to gain salvation. Jesus Christ was the perfect Son of God, sinless, came and died on the cross, was buried, resurrected, for you and I to have salvation. There is nothing else that needs to be done. We operate from a place of victory. We operate from a place of complete and wholeness in Christ Jesus. However, Jude is saying, I want you to contend for the faith. In other words, in, in, uh, in verse 3, he says, urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. In other words, he's saying, we're not trying to win something. We're not trying to obtain something, but we need to protect something. Okay, there comes a place where you and I have to protect the, the, uh, the faith that has been given to us. Because it's easy for the enemy, however he decides to show up, to try to rob us of what is being given to us. Our, 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 our doctrinal understanding, the gospel truth. And so when we talk about what is this continuing for the faith, it's not about a salvation faith, but it's about the doctrine of God. It's about the truth of God's word that the enemy wants to come in and snatch that from us. And so Jude is saying, hey, you guys need to wake up, and you don't need to tolerate this, and you need to deal with it. And so when he talks about this word contend for, when you really uh, look at that word there in the Greek, it's where we kind of get, it has the root meaning of where we get the word agonize or agony from. Agonizing for the faith. There's agonizing that is dealing with, with making sure we protect the faith that has been given to us. Now, I don't know about you, but nobody likes to be in agony. Right? This agony is a mental or physical suffering for the faith. 
Not the faith of trying to grasp something, but the, the, the agonizing or the constant warfare of trying to protect the faith. To keep the faith. To ensure that it doesn't uh, uh, get seeped out and, and get lost. And so uh, last year, I think it came across a, uh, I think it was last year, a survey of Protestant uh, pastors of the United States. And they were uh, kind of saying, what do you think is the number one idol of the American church? That the, the, that the American church bows down to. And 67% of these pastors says the American idol for the church is comfort. And so we're at a place in society where we're more concerned about our comfort than we are for standing up and contending for the faith. Because we're not willing to agonize for what has been given to us. We'll let people decide for us and like sheep to a slaughter, we'll simply follow along. We'll just simply go the way that they want us to go. And there needs to be a time, and this is a time I believe in which we're living in in Jude pegged it back in his day, that we need to recognize that there are false teachers and there's false doctrine, there's false living, and that you and I have to contend for the faith. That if we don't, then a generation after us, your children, your grandchildren, will not know how to contend for the faith if you and I don't contend for it. And so we have to be able to stand and say that if you're called, those who are called, contend for the faith. Contend for it. Fight for it. You know, we, we, we have so many things that go on in our, our society right now. There's so many things in which, which false teaching has showed up. It's in the church. It's in, it's in government. It's in systems, school systems, and every other system. It's in, it's in uh, Hollywood. It's in all of these different types of, of systems. But you and I have to be willing to stand and contend for the faith. And so this idea of fighting is not something new in the, in the New Testament. In fact, if you go over to uh, 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, you've got to fight the good fight of faith. In other words, there's something that is taking place. It, it, it's, not a, it, it's not a flesh and blood thing. This is not about going out and, and, and getting on a street corner and just being ugly and belligerent and and dogmatic and all of these types of, of things. It is a spiritual fight. It's a spiritual fight with which you and I are required the responsibility to stand against teachings that oppose God. And so, so uh, Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against powers and principalities and rulers of darkness. And so, and so again, there's this idea of, of wrestling. Uh, Philippians tells us to strive for the faith. In other words, there's this effort. But here's the thing. We don't like effort. We don't like agony because we are willing to bow at the, at the idol of comfort. At the idol of comfort. And so we've got to shake ourselves. Like if there's anything that I really want you to come out of this message, and I want you to wake up. I want me to wake up. We've got to shake ourselves from just being comfortable. Let me tell you, contending for the faith is not coming to church for 75 minutes and hearing a couple of a worship songs and then going home. Like you may have to contend with your bed sheets to get out of bed, but you didn't contend for your faith. I didn't contend for my faith. Right? It is, it is beyond that. So contending for your faith is going to take, uh, I, I believe it's kind of two areas of our life. It's the, it's the private area of our life. Right, we have to contend for the faith in the private area. 
that means that I have to practice personal purity. Because I'm not going to listen to false teachers and, and false uh, uh, doctrine that says I can live any way I want and God's okay with me and I just get a, a free pass. Right? And I, that means I've got to practice personal purity for my house. What comes into my house for my children? What for my family? I've got to contend for the faith because the television is going to tell uh, some false doctrines. Okay? There's going to be uh, uh, school assignments that are going to have some false doctrine in it. There's going to be some, some friends that maybe come over that have some false doctrine in them. And so I have to personally contend for the faith in my house. I have to contend for the faith in my personal life. And so not only is it a private uh, uh, contending, but it's also a public contending. That at times, when needed, that I stand up and contend for the faith in, in our society and in our culture. Whether that's voting on certain issues or having to speak out on certain issues or whatever it happens to be. But recognizing that I will never stand publicly if I never deal with the things privately in my life. It has to start privately. And Jude is calling and saying, hey, don't tolerate these guys. Don't let them just come in and do whatever they want. You have to make a stand for that. And it's hard to make a stand. Right? Because making a stand will cost you relationships. Taking a stand may cost you a promotion. It might cost you your job. And when we talk about the, the, the school systems and things like that, it's understanding that it's not just students, but it's also teachers and administrators and those that are that they're in a tight spot. Because they're having to make decisions on my income and pensions and all of these things. But if we bow to the place of comfort, I think the second thing on that list was security and, and, and finances were the other, other uh, two items in that, in, that, um, in that survey. So comfort and security, money, all of those things. And we have to be willing to contend for the faith. And we have to be willing to fight, to stand up. So Jude is calling us out to do that. I think the second thing that Jude points out to us is that called out people have to stand with truth. Stand with truth. Look what the, he writes over in verse 4. He says this. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in. Let me just pause there. Okay, so we don't know who the individuals are. He doesn't give us any names. We don't know how many have been there. How many of them there are? Uh, we don't know all of these details. But what we do know is that, hey, their condemnation has already been written about long ago. In other words, every generation has, to, has had to deal with false teaching and false doctrine. Okay, this is not something new to 2023. This is not something new to, uh, in Jude's time. And when we all old and get, um, go see Jesus, I'm trying to put that in a positive light. Well, you know, we die. Um, <laughs> When we go see Jesus, the next generation will still have to contend with false doctrine and false teachers. But Jude says, hey, their, their judgment has already been taken care of. It has already been assigned to them long ago. But we're just simply dealing now with them being in the church is what he's saying. So let's keep reading. Uh, they are, listen, he, he begins to name them out. They are ungodly people. They prefer the grace of, of God. In other words, uh, they begin to allow loose living and just say that, hey, grace is all right. Grace will cover. So they per pervert grace of our God into a license for immorality. That's going on right, right here today. 
people perverting, making the grace of God cheap. And Paul in Romans says, do we keep on sinning so grace may abound? He says, God forbid, certainly not. And so, and so Jude says, hey, this is what they do. They come along and they pervert the grace. And then he finally says, and then they deny Jesus Christ. They deny Jesus Christ. And so we have to guard. We have to stand with truth. In other words, you and I have to know God's word. We have to know what is true in order to be able to stand with truth. If we never crack open the Bible, if we never study, if we never spend any time, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't, experience God, then how can we stand for truth? Because anything that comes along will trip us up. And so we have to be able to stand for truth. Uh, uh, Judah's acting like that protective dad over the church. He's saying, hey, I, I'm going to make sure you're protected and that you stand with truth. This is what these, these false teachers look like and you need to deal with them. You need to watch out. And so here's the thing about false teachers. They don't ever announce that they've showed up. They just sneak in. And you've got to be able to know the difference. Like, they're not going to say, hey, I'm here, I'm a false teacher. Right? But you have to know that's incorrect. That's wrong. That's not what God's Word says. And so you and I have to live out of this place and so uh, of understanding and relationship with God. And so uh, Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit who will lead you or guide you into all truth. And so it's the Holy Spirit working in us, and as we yield to the Holy Spirit in our life, that we allow Him to guide and direct us. His Word, He opens up His Word to us, and we, and we live out of that relationship with the Holy Spirit, and we, and, and we have this communion with Him, and so we walk with that. Well, what you've got to understand, just because it sounds good, doesn't mean it's sound doctrine. So you've got to learn the difference. Eve was deceived because it sounded good. It sounded right. It sounded like something, well, maybe that's something God would have said. And surely God didn't really mean we could be to this. He's not that harsh of a God. Right? But they didn't recognize authority in their life. And so, so, so uh, just because it sounds good doesn't mean it's sound doctrine. And so we have to understand that truth is a standard, an absolute standard. And, and here's what culture and society will do to truth. I'm just going to take some things right out of God's Word. Romans 1, 18 says, they suppress the truth. You ever heard anybody suppressing the truth this day and age? Try to keep it squashed down. Don't look over here. Look over that way, right? So we suppress the truth. Acts 20, 30 says, they distort the truth. So if I can't suppress it, I'll twist it. I'll confuse you. You don't know what's right and what's wrong, and you're all twisted up, and you'll just you'll just be confused about everything. So they, they distort the truth. Romans 125 says they exchange the truth of God for a lie. So they so so somehow you see the truth, but you exchange it for a lie. Oh, I, I, that's cool, but I think I like this better because what does it do? It appeals to my flesh. It appeals to my emotions. It appeals to my sensories. It appeals to my comfort. And so I'm willing to exchange. And then Romans 2.8 says they reject the truth and follow evil. I believe it's Dallas Willard who is a Christian philosopher said this, that all truth is God's truth. In other words, if it is truly true, 
then its origins are from God because God is the only true uh, uh, person or spirit. And so uh, it is out of that uh, that we understand that there are principles of truth that come from God. But ultimately, it is not just simply a principle of truth, but truth is a person. Truth is a person, and his, and his name is Jesus. In fact, John 14 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So when there is a rejection of truth, it's not only rejecting the principles or the doctrine of God's word, but it's also rejecting Jesus himself. Okay, so when you got to understand when truth is being perverted, when truth is being twisted, what they are trying to do is twist God, twist the biblical view of God. That's why it's important that we have a biblical framework and for which we uh, live our life. Most of us are still walking within a world view of, of, of life where God is calling us to get a biblical perspective of life and so that we have an understanding of what truth is and who truth is, and it's Jesus. And so let me give you a quick definition of, of truth. It's this right here. Truth is the absolute standard by which reality is measured. All right, this is Paul's right there. It's an absolute standard. In other words, it does not move. It does not move. And so when people say, hey, the Bible needs to be more up to date, you need to look at it from this angle or that angle. Well, if you do that, then it's no longer absolute truth because you've changed it. And it can be no longer speak to our lives because it's no longer absolute truth. And so it is an absolute truth in which we measure reality. The reality that we're living in, reality of our culture, the reality of what's being taught, what is being communicated to us. So it's that, but here's the, 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 the anchor, if you will. It's the absolute standard by which reality is measured, and it is rooted in God's view of any subject. So absolute standard, truth is, but it has to be rooted in God's perspective on any subject. Not just on substance, not just on some subjects. Not just on like, hey, well, you know, go to church. Like God's truth is there, but it's not really for the other stuff. No, it is absolutely for every dimension of our life. And it has to, we have to understand that it gives us a biblical perspective of life. And so here's the opposite of truth is error. And I like the definition of error because it's it's short, right? It's this. Error is anything that disagrees with God. Error is anything that disagrees with God. So let me just say this, as lovingly as I know how. When you say, hey, it's okay for me to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, got to be cool with that, you're in error. Sorry, it disagrees with what God says. When you say, well, you know what, I can, uh, I'm a married uh, man, woman, and I can go have an affair with somebody, sorry, you're in error, it disagrees with God's word. When you say, uh, I think it's all right to have an abortion and that should be a woman's right, I'm sorry, it's an error, it disagrees with God's word. Okay, homosexuality, same-sex marriage. Well, there is no such thing as same-sex marriage, there's only biblical marriage, and I'm sorry, you're in error, it disagrees with God. And so every dimension of our life has to come into a place where we are able to come up and bounce that against God's word. We do not try to bend God's word to fit our lifestyle. We bend our lifestyle to fit God's word. And so Jesus.
come along and Jude's a man, I mean, Jude's a hard preacher. But his brother was James, and James was a hard preacher too. I wonder what Joseph and Mary had going on in their household that got these guys all riled up. Maybe they were just like, can't you be more like Jesus? I don't know. They could just say, but they are both hard preachers. But Jude comes along and says, hey, you've got to understand. You've got to contend for the faith. There are people who are teaching false doctrine, and you're going to have to stand with truth in the third and final thing I'm talking about is that I believe that the called people of God have to believe God. Have to believe God. In other words, what, what, do, you, what do you say? Jude knew that the teachers would create doubt in the lives of the, of, the, of the church members there, that they would doubt God. They would have disbelief for God. In fact, if you go uh, to verse 5, it says this. I would like to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. He starts off and says, I want to remind you. I mean, you recognize sometimes you just need to be reminded of biblical truths. You know, we're always looking for a new thing. We're always looking for a pithy saying. We're always looking for some kind of little catch cliche to kind of hang our whole spiritual life on. And, you know, our, our, one of those uh, Facebook memes that kind of like, oh, yeah, that just sums it all up. You know what? But the truth of the matter is, is we've got to go back to what is God's truth and be reminded of that and believe God. Because from that point is where we begin to, to uh, set our value system and belief system in God. And so uh, uh, Jude is saying, hey, uh, I want you to remember about the story about the nation of Israel and Egypt. In other words, if you remember your biblical history there, uh, Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. God comes along and says, I'm going to uh, free you. I'm going to take you into a, a land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And you're gonna, we're going to go there. And so all these uh, ten plagues come. And there's the miracle of, of crossing of the Red Sea. And so when the Israelites get to one side, they turn around. And there's the, the miracle of the closing of the Red Sea on top of the, the uh, Egyptian soldiers. And so there's this great moment. And so just a, a few days later, they get to a place where, where God is going to bring them to. And God, and this is what's so amazing, is that it's all of this is God's idea, right? And he says, why don't you get 12 spies and go out and uh, look at the land I'm going to give you? And out of those 12 spies, 10 came back with a negative report. Only two said, we believe God's word and we think we can take the land. The ten came back and said, we can't take the land. And what the ten did is they got the whole nation of Israel to doubt God's word. Ten people changed the nation for 40 years because it caused them to doubt God. Don't let anybody come along and get you to doubt God. You have to be able to say, no, God's word says I understand your point of view. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not moving from this. This is God's word. I'm living by God's word. I'm standing on God's word, and I will walk it out. I will walk it out. And so it's the story. And, and, and so what happens is God says, well, listen, for all of those who are 20 and under, you'll get to go into the promised land. But if you're 20 and older, you're going to walk around for 40 years, wander around the wilderness, and basically, I'm just going to cause you to die over time, kind of like a slow death. And so God does this, but you can see over in, in Psalm 95, verse 10 through 11, this is God's perspective on that story. 
And so we see this, and it says this. And so think of this God speaking, his perspective on that story. He says, for 40 years, I was grieved that, at that generation and said it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. What caused them to go astray? Why was he grieved? It's because they did not know God. They did not know his ways. They did not believe God and his word. They did not trust God. And so there's this wrestling that takes place in our lives, whether it's false teaching that we allow to come in through, through our own self-learning or, or things in the home or whatever it happens to be in society. There are things that creep in and cause us to want to doubt God. And I believe that you and I, one of the ways that we hurt God in disbelief is, is we cause grief to take place in God. You, I don't know, if you've ever had kids, there's, uh, you know, you want your kids to believe you, right? And so whenever there's something exciting and it's something great that you want to, like, tell them about, hey, guess what, we're going to do this, it's going to be awesome, it's going to be fun, and they go, uh-uh, nah, you're not, you're lying, right? And it's, and we kind of know how to deal with that, but, but, but when we really just say to God, I don't believe you, I don't trust you, I doubt that probably won't happen. You know, maybe there is multiple ways to get to heaven. Maybe Jesus is not the only way. Maybe maybe he, there really isn't a hell. Maybe there's, you know, God really doesn't care. There's all sorts of things that begin to come in and cause doubt. But you have to take authority over that in the name of Jesus. And you have to bring your mind under submission. You know, I just tell you, sometimes I, I, whenever I speak, I tell you little things about my life, about my personal life. You know, sometimes in my prayer closet, I, I just do this. I say, um, body, you have to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I say, mind, you have to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Emotions, you have to come, come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Will, you have to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. What am I doing? Because from time to time, I have to bring my soul, which is my mind, will, and emotions, and I have to bring them back under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because there are times that they want to drift. And I say, no, you're not drifting. You get back in here. The body wants to drift. I say, no, you're not drifting. We're going to live for Christ. We're going to live for God. We're going to pursue Him. We're going to contend for the faith. We're going to stand for truth. And I'm going to believe God in His Word. And sometimes it's a fight to do that. And so we have to, we have to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, the uh, 10 spies, one of the 10 spies that was able to go in, or uh, 12 spies that was able to go in was Caleb. And Caleb's name means wholeheartedly, or wholehearted. And the Bible says that Caleb followed or believed God wholeheartedly. And I think when you and I talk about believing, we have to believe wholeheartedly. There can't be doubt. You know, Jude's brother James, he says over in his letter that he wrote, he says, what, don't be like a double-minded man, because a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all of his ways. And so you and I have to make sure the foundation of our life is firmly planted on Jesus, on his word. It can't be any other thing. Any other thing will fall apart. 
It's like the story that Jesus said of the, the wise man who built his house on a, on a rock and the, uh, the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when the storms of life came, the, 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 the foolish man's house blew down. But it's the one who built his life on the rock. What are you building your life on? You can't contend for the faith on shaky ground. You can't contend or stand for truth on shaky ground. You can't believe God with a double mind. And so Jude is calling us, and I'm trying to echo his words to us. I'm trying to be lovingly and graciously, but I want to challenge us. We are called people. And people who are called by God have the responsibility to stand against teachings that oppose God. Would you stand with me today? Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. Lord, I thank you for Jude. Lord, I thank you that he wrote this, this letter, this brief letter. And God, it's a strong letter. It's a strong word. But God, I believe it's for us today. But Lord, you, you're calling us as, as people of God to stand, to contend for the faith. And so, God, I just pray right now for every individual in this room, every individual who's participating online. God, give us the boldness and the courage. Give us the boldness and the courage. Just as Paul told Timothy that we do not have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You've given us the Holy Spirit to walk in power, to walk in strength. And when our, when our legs, physical legs, get tired and they become shaky on the very thing which we're trying to stand upon, your word, God, I pray that you would give us the strength at that moment to stand tall, heads held high, and declare the word of the Lord in our generation. Lord, let us not be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So, God, we just declare that right now. I speak over everyone who hears my voice, the strength of God, the power of God to stand in wicked days. God, I just declare that right now. God, where there's been timidity, Lord, I just declare that there is power right now. For those who have been on the fence, Lord, those who have been double-minded, those who are unsure, God, I just declare right now, today is a day of certainty, and today is a day of following and today is a day of picking up our cross. And I declare that over your people right now in Jesus' name. That we will no longer be cowards. That we'll no longer live in a place of just simply being comfortable. But God, that we will pursue you no matter what it costs us. No matter it hurts. God, if we don't ever see what we were believing for and what we're hoping for, we know that our God has us and is sustaining us and is providing for us. And Lord, it's not about our comfort. It is about your kingdom. And so God, I just declare that right now in Jesus' name. This is a point of repentance. And God, right now, I just declare that we are people who want to repent before you. We repent before you right now, God. Forgive us of being cowards. Lord, spiritual cowards that just say, well, whatever happens, we'll just go along with it. 
God, the, the, the inability to speak up, to speak out, to stand up. God, forgive us for being ashamed of you. God, that we've been ashamed of you at times. God, we're sorry. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to act. The pressure was on, God. But Lord, we want to stand for you today. God, that's what we're declaring. That we're men and women called by God who have the responsibility to stand against the teachings that oppose your name and your word. So as we're in this moment of self-reflection, personal prayer, maybe you're in here today and you've never began a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you've never repented of your sins. Maybe you've just been choosing to live life your own way. You know, when we talk about salvation, we always talk about salvation saving us, setting us free from death, hell, and eternity in hell. But there's also another part of salvation. Salvation saves us from the wrath of God. The wrath of God was already taken out on Jesus. So we have the we have the ability to have that taken away from us by coming in relationship with Jesus. But when we refuse to do that, what we're saying is in eternity, I'm willing to pay my own wages. I'm willing to pay my own way, my own debt. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And so when we get to heaven without Jesus Christ, what we're saying is whatever the wrath of God is, I can take it. And the answer is, my friend, you can take it, but it will take you to hell. Now I'm trying to be very sober trying to be very strong because I believe we only get certain chances and moments that God divinely sets up for us. So if you're in here today and you've never began a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never asked for sins to be forgiven and you've never repented, I want you to just raise your hand up high right now. I want to pray with you. Come on, is there one? Raise it up high. Don't be ashamed. Is there one? Is there one? not, then I'm speaking to the church, and the church needs to wake up and stand and contend for the faith. So God, right now, I just ask that you seal the work of the Holy Spirit right now. God, I just ask that you move by your spirit, God. We're asking for a move of God. We're hungry for a move of God. But we know when the move of God comes, it's going to require something extra of us. That, Lord, we can't move in a new dimension without there being a new discipline. And, Lord, we can't move in a new dimension without there being some, some self-sacrifice. We can't move in a new dimension if we're also hung up in our comfort. So, God, I just ask right now that you move by your Spirit. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. We pray these things in your son's name. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Boy, it's been an awesome day. I hope you still love me. And uh, and that's just a, a challenging word for us. Sometimes we need to be challenged. We're not going to be coddled. This is one thing. The reason I can speak like this. 
it's because my lead pastor speaks like this. And that's the one thing I love. One of the many things I love about my lead pastor is he will challenge and he will speak truth. And it gives me a gateway and a freedom to be able to speak that way. Amen. So I'm thankful for that. We have a lead pastor that will not compromise. He speaks truth and he stands on that. And I appreciate that about him. I thank you so much again for being here. Uh, as we conclude today, I want to kind of give our, our, our final act of worship is this, is the receiving of our tithes and offering. I want to thank you so much for your generous and faithful giving each and every week. Thank you for your faithful and generous giving throughout the, through the summer months. We know that uh, vacations happen and all of these things, but we're not the type of people that uh, they give our tithes and offering to uh, the season pass at Bush Gardens or the season pass at, uh, pass at Ocean Breeze or things like that, but that we give generously because we believe God's word. Right? We believe God's word. It all comes back to God and his word. And so I want to thank you so much for your giving. Your giving makes a difference in the hearts and lives of people. It allows us to do what we do, whether that's through camera equipment and getting the word out through uh, social uh, 